Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we are looking at the process of giving notes. We did an entire episode all about how to get notes that was reading Onion back in PT08, an episode on how to receive notes and take feedback that was PT142. And now we are digging into how we approach giving notes, what we look for in scripts, and some do's and don'ts. But before we get into the episode, we wanted to remind everybody about our big 200th episode coming up. We're super excited. We are going to be doing a live stream where you can participate. You can send in your questions. We'll be having some awesome co-hosts on. We'll be having some former guests calling in. And we'd really love for everybody to A, tune in and B, kind of take part. So mark your calendars for Saturday, December the 5th. And you can get all the information for that at paperteam.co slash 200. And a key part of that 200th episode is a bit of a retrospective. So we really want to hear from you about what your favorite episodes of Paper Team are and any moments that really stood out to you. So you can always send those at ask at co or through our Twitter at TV calling it at underscore NJ Watson, or even through that page that Nick just mentioned, which is paperteam.co slash 200. Especially if you shout out a specific guest that you really appreciated, we might actually bring them on live for you to chat with. So really take that opportunity. All right, let's dig into giving notes. And uh, first of all, we got to mention that this entire episode's idea was all from our longtime listener, Varda, who sent us an awesome email all about the topic of giving notes. And uh, she said, Dear Alex and Nick, how are you doing? Hope you're staying safe and sound. I'm writing with a question regarding notes giving. You two are so good at that. I was lucky enough to get my teaser reviewed on the show and everything you said was extremely helpful. You condensed so much feedback into so little time, yet somehow it didn't feel overwhelming. So I was wondering, how did you become such great note givers? Is that something you practiced a lot? It's one thing to be a good writer, but giving well thought out actionable note is a completely different skill. Additionally, you always manage to maintain a respectful and impartial tone. That way the writer's ego is spared. Do you like to use certain words or phrase that sweeten the taste a bit of critique? Uh, please share your knowledge and tell us what is your technique. Thanks as always for everything you do. Looking forward to every episode of Varda. Yeah, that's a really great question. I mean, obviously, it's such a good question. We decided to do a whole episode on it. Um, just to address part of that, I mean, yeah, I feel like we both have a lot of experience in giving notes, whether that is to fellow writers as part of a writer's group, whether it's to friends who have sent us their scripts over time. Uh, I've done a significant amount of work also as sort of a script reader and as a creative executive having to give notes on a lot of things too. So it really is, I guess, a bit of a practice makes perfect thing. But also, I guess, you know, as writers ourselves, understanding what we would want to hear and how we would want to hear it is always good to keep in mind. I will also mention that I genuinely believe that the ability to give notes and uh, working on that scale directly translates to your ability to being a good writer. In my mind, that boils down to your ability to not just be able to condense ideas and thoughts, uh, practically speaking, into other cohesive thoughts, but also the way you look at a script, its goal and uh, its purpose when you're giving notes, looking at notes in not just a practical way, but a critical way, uh, because 
uh, obviously we're always our own worst critic, but especially because it's such a collaborative working environment in the writer's room, you will constantly have to build on other people's uh, pitches. But even when something doesn't work out, you need to be able to pivot away from that idea and be able to deconstruct why it didn't work and ways of fixing that. So that's an important skill to work on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're giving notes constantly in the writer's room in a way, whether it's to a writer who's, you know, perhaps below you in the rankings or, or above you. Everyone is pitching ideas out into the room and your collaboration on that and your way to say, yeah, maybe not that, but what if we did this is in effect a form of live <laughs> note giving. So uh, it is a very important skill. All right, let's look at really how we approach giving notes. And the first angle to look at is the timing and goal of those notes. Yeah, it's super important to understand what is the purpose of the notes that you are giving. What is this writer hoping to get out of the feedback that they are soliciting from people? And especially what stage is that material at? Is this a very early beat sheet for a TV pilot, or is it the third draft polish that they're getting ready to send off to fellowships or to agents or whatever that happens to be? That's so important to understand what you're going to be focusing on when you're giving the notes and what's actually going to be useful to them at this stage versus what's not. And just to give you a quick example of that, uh, let's take, for example, micro notes like spelling errors. Uh, giving notes on spelling errors in a brief a pitch document for a writer's group or even an outline is kind of irrelevant as opposed to giving notes on on spelling errors in a final draft that you'll be sending out to executives and managers or agents. That's an example of really being aware of what stage of the process you are in to be able to give practical notes. And that directly translates to other things as well, obviously structure, characters, uh, storylines, all those elements that we will be uh, digging a bit deeper into uh, this episode. Yeah, exactly. So tying into all of that is just always keeping in the forefront of your mind, like what's actually achievable or practical for the writer at this stage and what they're wanting out of this. I think we all hate when you get a really huge structural or conceptual note on your pilot when you're really just kind of like passing it around for the last few little tweaks and to get people's responses and that kind of thing. Uh, you're hoping to be able to send it out. And if someone says, no, 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 you need to tear this apart completely and change all of this and change all of that. Look, even if they might be right, maybe that would be a better version of it eventually you might have already invested too much time in it and you're saying, look, this is the version I'm going to go with. What I really wanted from you here was what are some small fixes I could make? How could I change this scene, uh, this act break, uh, this line of dialogue that's going to make it the best it can be? So you really need to be aware of why you're giving that note and how it's going to help. One clear way of understanding all those things is to simply communicate and ask the writer what they want. Uh, this is something that uh, I know I do, and I'm sure you do too as well, Nick. And that's essentially asking the writer almost point blank, what do they really want out of the notes that I'm going to give them? Because we all want different things at, at different steps. So sometimes what I want to hear from someone is just how amazing of a writer I am. And maybe I'm just looking at really surface level notes. Maybe it's towards the late stage you have a draft or something like that. And so all I want to hear is basically tweaks and fixes for scenes. But overall, I don't want uh, the person reading the script to really dig too much into the structure because by that point, it's probably been months and months of work to get to that point. So I don't want notes on that. Conversely, if I'm much early in the process and I'm looking at the structure and I'm, I have an outline, uh, something like that, and I'm not quite sure if the ABC storylines are working, then I really want the nitty gritty of that structure work to be addressed 
in those notes. And a lot of that, again, uh, I have to repeat it. It comes down to communicating with the writer. What do they want? Just ask them, honestly, what stage of the process are you in? Do you want me to give you notes on the structure, on the characters, on the dialogue, or do you just want to hear specific things about scenes or pitches on dialogue or uh, maybe just a grammatical errors? Yeah, exactly. And I think that sometimes it can be helpful to prime your readers with an understanding of what you're looking for. You're saying, look, some people were having issues with the structure. I'd really like to know if these act breaks are working for you. And then they can, a reader can keep that in mind as they're going through and going, hmm, you know what? That was kind of a weak act break. And so they're, they're thinking about that. Whereas they might have perhaps skimmed over it or, th- or thought, uh, I guess that was okay. I'll just keep reading. And it wasn't a big point they were going to bring up. So you can even, you know, specifically target, like, what do you think of the dialogue in this draft of the script? And then so that way they're going to be giving you the specific notes you need rather than coming in and telling you, Maybe a note you've had several times before about how they didn't like this character's name or whatever that would happen to be. On the contrary, you may want to do the opposite and you may want to give them a completely clean read and say, what stands out to you? And that way, it's kind of a blind read in a way. And they can say, if they do say there's an issue with the dialogue and you've heard that from four other people, then you're like, okay, there really is something here that needs to be fixed. Absolutely. And personally, in terms of the way I approach giving notes, a lot of the time, it's sort of that blind read that you speak of in the sense of, I will be asking the writer what they want out of the notes in the general way, as we just spoke, whether they just want to be told the script is good, or if it's more of the nitty gritty, and also sort of where in the process they are. Uh, I think if I'm getting sort of a draft or really detailed, that's pretty evident, but I'll still ask. Either way, before I get into the read, I'm not necessarily going to be pitching specifically, here are the things I'm going to be tackling by reading this. I'll just go in semi-blind. I should prefer to go in relatively blind into the script and make the script be my first impression. And at that point, I really am aware of the things that stick out to me either positively or negatively. And that really gives me a better ability to then give notes because I don't have that sort of uh, imprint uh, given to me by the writer about necessarily what they're afraid of. Depends on the want of the writer. And look, there are times too where, you know, people will ask you for notes on a script and that's not really what they want. What they do want is to be told that it's good and that, you know, you're going to pass it on to your friends or uh, a manager that you know, or that sort of thing. And I think, you know, it is important to always still be open to notes, but, and, you know, if you're asking somebody for notes, expect to receive them. Don't go in with this kind of ulterior motive of, Hey, I'd love your thoughts and notes on this script. When really what you want is for them to tell you it's great and they're going to give it to somebody. I think be more honest about that. If that's actually what you want out of it, say, Hey, I've got this script. People seem to think it's good. I'm really happy with it. I would love if you could take a read and tell me, do you think it's ready for an agent or a manager to look at? Do you think that I could get staffed with this script? And then that way people are going to be able to give you exactly what you want. Like, is this up to standard? If it's not, what are the areas that you could improve rather than them coming in and giving you these structural notes that you don't really care about, you don't plan on implementing. Right. And that is why I believe in full transparency both ways, both in terms of what the writer wants and what kind of notes you're looking to give. And especially at the point where you're receiving, again, something like a final draft or something that looks like a final draft, I feel it's pretty implied that, you know, they might be looking for uh, less notes, notes than, oh, uh, if you feel this is good, then pass it on. But either way, all those things should probably be more transparent than they probably were in that initial email. So really be aware of that process and what they want. And I know we always want, or not always, but sometimes we do want that ego boost of, hey, the script is great, I'm going to pass it on, but really be sort of proactive and specific about what notes you're looking for, but also what kind of notes you're willing to give. 
Yeah, I think one of the worst things that can happen to you as a reader is you spend all this time giving really thoughtful notes, really diving into the script, carving out some things, thinking about how you can improve it, and you take it back to the writer and they're just not willing to listen because they either disagree with you or that wasn't what they were looking for in the first place. And I think that that's a very disrespectful thing to do to somebody who you're asking for a favor of their time to read your script and give you their thoughts. So always be transparent and always be clear about what it is that you want. Another huge faux pas, but uh, an important thing that we need to address in terms of the way we approach uh, giving notes is that essentially notes are meant to improve the product. It's meant to improve the script. It's meant to look at what that writer's vision is and plus it. And that means not giving lateral notes. In other words, you should not be giving notes that are just moving pieces around the Titanic as opposed to just fixing the fact that there's an iceberg headed, uh, <laughs> or rather the Titanic is headed towards the iceberg. Those are the kinds of notes you should be looking at, the bigger picture notes, especially if you're earlier on the process. But either way, you should not be pitching things that move things around as opposed to here are ways of fixing actual issues I'm having with the script. Yeah, there's this notion of different, not better. And you know, you may pitch a version that works too, and it's great, but it's not that substantially better. It doesn't offer something that really improves the story. It just offers something kind of different. It's like, well, what if instead of being attacked by a wolf, they were attacked by a jaguar? And it's like, okay, that could work. I could definitely do that version, but like, what does it add? How does it tie into the character or the situation or the story in a way that really improves the script? And if it doesn't, then uh, there's probably no point in pitching that. I think it's kind of a waste of time. You're not a co-writer. You are someone who's offering them notes to improve it. So like, let them have their vision and build upon that. How can you make their vision better rather than imposing your vision upon the script or how you would do it instead? Exactly. And a lot of that is rooted essentially in ego. And uh, earlier in this episode, we mentioned how at some point in the process, maybe you have a draft that you just want people to look at and send out to agents and executives and so forth. All you want at that point is to just say, hey, do you mind giving me your thoughts? But I don't really want to hear your thoughts. I just want to hear how amazing the script is so you can pass it on. Well, the inverse of that or the mirror version of that for note giving is basically the sort of the lateral note of, all right, let me pitch you my vision of your script as opposed to let me help you improve your vision. And in essence, that is the difference between thinking critically as opposed to emotionally. And that's a fine balance because a script, a story, a narrative is supposed to be cathartic. It's supposed to be a story that makes you feel things. But if the feelings that you're getting are, no, 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 this is the way I want this to happen as opposed to, oh, wait, this didn't really land the way you thought it landed. Uh, this is the difference that you need to navigate in terms of really thinking about the script critically in terms of what is the writer's true goal and uh, uh, contrasted with what you think your goal with your own writing is. Yeah, exactly. And that's not to say that you can't pitch fixes or ideas to the writers, but I would do that sparingly. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But it is to say that you need to be pitching how to make their version better rather than how to make your version. Right. And because in essence, uh, like we've said it uh, time and time again, but we're going to repeat it here. The goal here is to really help that writer improve on their draft, whether it's a teaser, an act one, a full script, Bible, whatever it is. The goal is not to make them write your vision of that script, unless you're literally sort of their boss slash showrunner. But I would even contend that at that point, I mean, great bosses slash showrunners know that the priority is really to the story and characters, not their ego, not their quote unquote vision. It's really about what makes the story and characters better. And those are the best kinds of showrunners and sort of a creative visionaries. 
Yeah, we talk all the time about how it's important for a writer to put their own voice and their own vision into their work. So you really want to be respectful of that and allow them to do it in their way and in their voice. So we've looked at the goal of uh, notes and uh, the way of sort of approaching uh, giving those notes. But another important element is the framing of those notes, especially because notes are potentially negative or positive, depending on the kind of notes that you're giving. And so it's important to be able to navigate how are you necessarily going to manage the ego of the writer. You don't want to sound like a dick just uh, sort of shutting down every single idea. But conversely, you don't want to be a yes man or yes woman just uh, saying, oh, everything is amazing. Uh, just send this pile of crap uh, to every agent you can think of. This is not really something that is going to be useful to the writer if you do that. So navigating the positive notes versus negative notes is an important thing. And the classic example of doing that is, uh, I'm sure you've done this thing, is the quote unquote crap sandwich, where you basically <laughs> sandwich a negative note with a positive thing at the top and a positive thing at the bottom. And I do feel overall, as sort of like an overall package of notes, it does kind of work. Uh, more times than not in the sense of let me front load all the amazing things that I genuinely believe are great about the script. And now that we've looked at those, let me actually genuinely look at the things that didn't quite resonate. Let me look at things that I feel you're trying to accomplish here that I believe didn't quite work. And let me explain why. Yeah. And that's not to say that every single time you give uh, some sort of criticism or negative, you have to uh, put uh, two positives uh, on either side. But I think just in general, uh, in the overall, let's say you were writing an email to somebody, you would definitely want to open with what you really liked about this, what you loved about it, all of the potential that it has, the things that, you know, make it great, then start to get into, you know, your three big notes or the, you know, the key things that you think that could be done to improve it. And then again, cap it off with a reminder of just how much you enjoyed it. Or again, you know, you think how great this can be with just a few little tweaks or anything like that. Just the overall shape of your feedback should start positive and end positive. And that way they're going to be much more receptive to hearing the negatives and the criticism that comes in the middle. And if we just do a quick look at the meta of uh, giving notes, uh, the goal or the point of notes is to leave the writer feeling like they have something to work with or tweak as opposed to you essentially destroying their sandcastle. It's the difference between being collaborative and additive as opposed to being destructive. Nobody likes the Dr. No, as a Javi would say, in the room of people just shutting down ideas. You want to be the person who, if you have an actual issue, you should pitch an alternate or even if you don't have an alternate, at least vocalize why it is an issue and not in an emotional way, as we said, not in an ego way. But if you believe genuinely that the murder of John Doe at the end of Act 3 is a pivotal emotional moment, but you read it and you kind of just sighed and moved on, that's a thing to highlight saying, hey, I really feel like this is not quite landing the way you think it is. And that's really being added because you're saying, hey, this important piece of the story that I understand you're trying to achieve is not being achieved. Tier. So let me explain or highlight at the very least why that is not working. Exactly. And even if you read a script and thought that it was all really bad, there are always, always, always positives that you can find and silver linings and things that, you know, you can frame positively. You know, you can say that a script was fun or interesting. You can say that a script has a lot of potential because there, there's always going to be something good about it. You know, a lot of times people have a really cool concept and they just don't execute on it. So focus on that. Focus on how great of an idea this is and all the things they could be doing to make the most of that idea. And maybe they're not doing that right now because of these reasons, but if they were able to take advantage of X, Y, Z, this thing would be incredible. You know, it doesn't help anyone to just kind of say it was bad, throw it out. 
And uh, speaking of uh, framing, another thing to look at essentially is the hierarchy of notes. This will really depend on the point in the process where you're giving notes and so forth. And in a moment, where we're going to be talking about what we look for in scripts uh, in terms of uh, giving notes. But it is important to note at the top that in the same way that you want to front load a little bit of positivity before digging into negative notes, you still want to order the notes that you're giving in the natural order of things. And by that, I mean that you should front load essentially the macro notes. Uh, if you have actual issues with the structure or the characters or really huge issues that are essential to not just this specific draft, but really the show as a whole or the episode as a whole, those are things you should front load way before any micro notes or way before any scene notes. Those I don't even want to see until I'm basically done with anything that's macro, anything that's about character, anything that's about story, anything that's about structure, all those things need to be front-loaded because if you tackle those macro notes, then the scene notes and micro notes will probably be irrelevant by the point you get to those. So that's why I always want to front-load with the macro notes first. Yeah, and I think it's important to also think about what are the most important or impactful notes that you can be giving. If you could only tell them one thing and give them one note about it, put that note first, because that's what you're going to kind of concentrate on and focus your attention on. And that's going to lead to other conversations around the rest of the script. Uh, a lot of the time I like to, and a lot of people like to limit feedback to three big notes. You can have little tiny notes here, like, oh, what if we tweak that? Or what if we tweak that? But you don't want to come in with zero notes, uh, unless it's brilliant. And you don't want to come in with like 20 huge notes that are just going to fundamentally change everything. I think usually you can kind of refine it down to like, what are the three major things that would improve this script the most? And it might be that there are more notes than that. But I think by the time you're finished with those big three notes, it's going to have that ripple effect and spread out and change other things like you were mentioning, Alex. So again, you know, focus in on what would be the most impactful notes and what would help improve this the most, even if you can't cover literally every single thing you want to. All right, so now that we've looked at how we approach giving notes in a more general way, let's really dig into what we look for in actual scripts, in actual pilots, in actual episodes, and what we want to tackle when we give our own notes to other people's scripts. And we'll be tackling that in the order that we are actually giving those notes. So the first one, and this depends entirely on what stage they're at, this would really only be something that you can comment on effectively in the very early stages when people are throwing around ideas, when they have maybe a, a paragraph or a pitch, that sort of thing, uh, would be the idea or the concept and then the overall kind of execution of that. Just fundamentally, what is this story about and is that interesting uh, and is it being executed in the best way possible? This is something that, uh, as you said, really works mostly, if not only, in the very early point in the process. I really don't want to be giving the kind of notes where this uh, show doesn't really work uh, when you're in the final draft stage or even the first draft, actually. But if you're really looking at maybe like an early pitch document or maybe even an outline, actually, looking at overall the execution of that idea, does it actually work tonally? Is it an idea or something that you haven't really seen before, or uh, does it really resonate with what the writer is trying to? To attempt, assuming that you do know what they're trying to attempt. If you don't know what they're trying to attempt, maybe you can explain, here's what I think you're trying to attempt. Maybe you're trying to do sort of like a Ryan Murphy type show. This is kind of the vibe I got. And uh, they'll tell you, wait, actually, I was trying to do like an Aaron Sorkin type show. Uh, it's quite different, but uh, okay, I guess we're going to go with Ryan Murphy here. So really understanding the type of execution, those tones, all those things very early on in the process can really be beneficial. 
And the, the next couple of points are kind of big macro things. They're, the next three or four of these are somewhat interchangeable depending on uh, where, again, they are in the process. But after the overall idea and concept and intention of the show, we're looking at the story. And that's not just the events of the plot and how they play out, although that is a big part of it, but story also encompasses how that plot intersects with so many of the other pieces of your narrative, uh, how the characters interweave with the story, how the structure interweaves, all the other things we're going to look at next can kind of fall under the umbrella of overall story. And um, when people are asking, you know, what's the show about? Or uh, if it's if something's already been made, did you enjoy it? The number one thing they're going to talk about is the story. It's important to keep in mind that all the things that we are discussing here are intrinsically interwoven within each other, so you can't really talk about one without the other and so forth. And story is critical. In the large part, it is going to be deciding your enjoyment of that episode or not. Am I being entertained? Is it feeling, like I said, cathartic? Am I really surprised by the turn of events? Is it predictable? Is there some momentum? That's a big piece of my notes that I generally give, especially looking at structure, which we're going to tackle next. But but is there actual momentum in the story? Is the story moving forward at a pace that really satisfies me? Or conversely, is it at a pace that subverts my expectations? Maybe it's something that's unique that I haven't really seen before that changes completely the format or the genre that you are working in. All those things are elements that I keep in mind when I look at story beyond obviously exposition and so forth, which is another element that we'll talk about in a moment. But on a sort of an emotional gut reaction, am I really satisfied with a story? Is it making sense? Are those elements in place to make me want to read on, not just with this episode, but other episodes? Is the story actually driving the plot forward in a logical way, but also a sort of in a surprising slash emotional way? All those are important elements to look at in story. So the next thing you can kind of give notes on at this stage that falls under story is the structure. So that is precisely how the plot and the story are laid out. Where does it start? What is the overall scope uh, of the events? What are the key story beats that it's hitting and when? How do those kind of interact with each other on a plot line level? You got your A story, B story, C story, how those are interwoven when you're cutting between each of them, how you're building up to the act breaks and those big important tentpole moments. And then overall, how that all kind of ramps up together at the end of the climax and the resolution to tell a satisfactory story. I'm a big believer in structure, especially in TV. Uh, Throwback to one of my catchphrases, which is uh, TV is a structural medium. You got to remember the structure that you work in, whether it's a half hour, one hour, whether you're breaking the structure purposefully, you got to be aware of those acts. You got to be aware of the cliffhangers. You got to be aware of the act breaks, the teaser, all those elements that we've tackled time and time over on this very podcast. This ties back to story. Like Nick said, the momentum is in part driven by the the structure. At what point in the story do you pause and go to ad break? At what point in the story do you end the episode? At what point in the story do you begin the episode? Those are all elements you got to keep in mind in terms of structure. And in the same way that I look at story in terms of momentum and uh, being surprised and all those things, I also look at structure in terms of the intercuts, weaving the ABCD stories. Does that make sense? Are we cutting to uh, John Smith and Jane Doe appropriately? across this episode. 
are the transitions also relevant? That's uh, something that is uh, quite underrated in a lot of notes that people give is transitions, especially if you look at something that's more in the final stage, something that's more akin to the final draft, look at the way scenes transition from one place to another. Maybe it's a match cut, maybe it's a hard cut, maybe it's a fade in, whatever version that you're using in your script. Those are places to look at in terms of the structure that can really move the momentum forward. It's almost sort of a, a subconscious thing where you you're transitioning so naturally from the A story to the B story to the C story, back to the A story, back to the B story, and so forth. Those are elements that are intrinsic to the structure of that. Only knowing sort of the ABC of it all, only knowing the five-act structure or three-act structure behooves you to give those notes. Yeah, structure is such a powerful tool for storytelling, especially when it comes to television and how important that is. And as a reader, I think sometimes it can be easy to sometimes take it for granted that this is just how the story plays out. And there's not much that can be done about that. And you're focusing instead on the characters and the dialogue within those scenes. But realistically, you can make much bigger impacts by asking, when is this moment happening? Could, would it be better if it happened later or earlier, or maybe even not at all? You know, one of the biggest things you can do with structure is cutting out scenes entirely, is starting a scene later or ending it earlier. All of those decisions can have huge impacts on the story and can make it so much more refined and better. So when you are reading someone's script for notes, keep in mind that you can make uh, big improvements based on structure alone. Absolutely. And that will directly inform all these other elements. If we look at, for example, I don't really understand this character's motivation. Well, if you have a scene earlier on that establishes that character's motivation, then later on, I won't have the note about the character's motivation. And conversely, maybe you've uh, hung too much of a lantern on uh, this twist that's going to happen in Act 5. Well, maybe you can remove that scene that's in Act 2 that uh, teases a bit too much about uh, who killed Nick Watson on this podcast. <laughs> Oh, no. All right. So the next one down from concept, your story of structure is going to be the characters. Uh, another one of Alex's catchphrases is that uh, TV is a character's medium. Um, so, you know, if you had to focus <laughs> on two things, structure and characters uh, would be key to TV. Uh, and that's because, you know, we're visiting in with these people every single week or for a binge of 10 episodes or however you like to consume your media. They are the thing that is intriguing to us. They are the people that we relate to and they are what's going to keep us in interested and invested in the story that's happening. You can have the most interesting story in the world, but if you have a boring, bland character, you're probably not really going to care about them or about what's going on. Right. And we've tackled ad nauseum about sort of how to make a great character and so forth. But obviously, the big elements that you need to watch out when you're giving notes on characters are things like motivation, goals. Are they actually distinctive one from the other? Especially when they're in the same scenes talking with each other. And we're going to tackle dialogue a bit later. But those are pieces that make the fabric of who that character is. Are we introduced to those characters at the right time, at the right moment? Is the way they are introduced in the story really compelling and actually makes sense for that character. Think about the way Walter White was introduced on Breaking Bad. Think about the way all those iconic characters that you love on TV are introduced the first time that you see them and really mirror that in your script. Not literally mirror that, but just metaphorically use that momentum, that energy of, hey, here's a scene that introduces my character in a really compelling way that is unique to that character. Those are some of the things you got to be aware of when giving notes, especially on a pilot. 
And sometimes you have to ask, does this character need to exist at all? Uh, every single character should have a really clear reason in the story and the narrative to be there. Uh, they can't just be a friend number three who's hanging out and has like three lines. <laughs> you know, sometimes even in key ensembles, you realize that there's one character that's just not pulling their weight and realistically could be combined into another character and just given those lines instead. So, you know, we've talked about this in all of our character episodes, but it's something you should be paying attention to when you're reading for other people as well. Do each of these characters have a clear purpose, a defined dynamic? Are they interesting and are they necessary? I feel like this trend might have started after loss, but we've both experienced countless scripts, especially pilots from nascent writers who are equating the value of having a lot of characters with having a lot of good characters. That's not necessarily true. And there's definitely an appeal in having sort of an ensemble show because people want to do the next Lost or the next Game of Thrones. They want sort of this tapestry of world building. They want all these different characters with uh, different jobs and backgrounds and so forth all in the pilot because in episode 25, we're going to go to this other character that had one line in the pilot and then we're going to explore that whole backstory. Well, that's not how TV actually works in a practical way. And more importantly, that's not how you write a compelling hour of TV. You cannot service 25 different characters in 60 pages, let alone 30 pages. That's not really how it works. So bear in mind when you're writing that pilot or that episode, even if it's an ensemble, you got to focus on that character. And the same Holstrew, when you're giving those notes, look at who actually is the lead. Can you pinpoint who is the lead in the story? Can you actually distinguish the A story from the B story from the C story? Can you actually understand the journey that each character is going to take in this pilot and might be hinting their journey in the overall series? Those are things to watch out for in terms of the character itself. Yeah, honestly, one of the things that bumps me the most when I'm reading uh, pilot scripts is the fact that I'm having 20 different characters thrown at me in the first five to 10 pages. Uh, they're constantly just introducing the next person and maybe not giving them enough character descriptions. So I don't feel like I know who this person is or why they need to be there or how they're distinct from anyone else. And then they just keep throwing more and more characters on every single page. And I don't even know whose story it is, whose point of view this is. So like you said, Alex, more characters does not equal better. The next thing to be looking for when you're reading is how the writer is handling exposition and world building. Now, it's such a key piece, especially in original pilots. When you're setting up a world, you're introducing characters, is how do you get this information out uh, effectively? And how do you do it in a way that doesn't feel clunky or like you're throwing it in the reader's face? Right. And a lot of it is obviously massaged in the story and the dialogue and the character, even in the structure and sound capacity. But uh, you got to be aware when you're building that pilot or when that other person is building that pilot, how are you processing as the reader that information? When you're getting the downloads of locations, of uh, timelines, of uh, sort of character backstory, of uh, magic powers, whatever the case may be in that world, you have to understand how you're processing that information. Is it effective? In fact, if you don't even know that there's exposition happening, but you understand everything, that sounds like amazing ex exposition to me because you're not even consciously aware that the exposition is happening. However, I feel like we're all kind of well-versed in, you know, in writing enough that we can recognize when that exposition is happening. So it's up to you as the note giver to recognize when it's actually the wrong time to do exposition or when uh, sort of it's tacked on in the dialogue. Maybe it's awkward. Maybe uh, some character is doing sort of a, a one-page monologue about the backstory of this 
castle that we don't really need to know until episode three that may not even happen uh, those are the things that in exposition and world building are so critical especially like nick said in the pilot but even more so in genres if you are working in fantasy and sci-fi even in historical fiction any of those universes you got to be aware of when to hold back information that's your power as a writer because you know everything the reader knows nothing so the way you dilute that information to the reader is critical and conversely as the reader you got to be aware of the amount of information that is given to you so you can understand how to process it yeah well i think it's a very common issue to have too much exposition and kind of too much thrown out at you that isn't needed and people not trusting the reader or the audience to understand that uh, you can also have the opposite problem where there really isn't a sense of what is this world around us? You know, why is it different from just your bland? I think the default is that people just assume that a show is set in present day Los Angeles, perpetual summer. Uh, <laughs> you know, like there's this like default assumption, or New York, or whatever it happens to be. It's somewhere like in, Game of to me. somewhere in Middle America. And then you know, if you don't ever do anything to challenge that notion and say this is how the world is different, uh, whether in you know a normal way, like it's set in a different city or a different part of the world, or it's set uh, in the future, or it's set in the past, anything like that, you know, what makes this world different and interesting, even just on a tonal level. If a show is set in a school, it could very well be uh, Walt teaching them in Breaking Bad, or it could be Saved by the Bell. You know, every world is different, <laughs> and you really need to establish that clearly in your writing and not just kind of leave it up to the reader's imagination because they might assume the wrong thing. Absolutely. And uh, to your earlier point, I will also say that two of the most common kind of notes that I give are versions of Mm, I don't really understand how X happened or, you know, why X is able to do Z. And conversely, actually, this thing that you think is very subtle is actually very obvious. Now, obviously, I'm not going to phrase it that way in my note, but it essentially conveys the same idea that, uh, like you said, people overestimate their ability to be subtle about exposition. And conversely, they underestimate the amount of information that a reader is able to get and read. Uh, now, that is not to say that you should not spell things out as a writer uh, sometimes, but as the reader, when you're giving notes, you should not be afraid to vocalize, hey, I understood X thing by page 15. You did not need to repeat it 50 times after page 15, for example. Or conversely, you mentioned something on page 36 that I never heard of before. What is this? Uh, why is this such an important deal? You did not explain that correctly or establish it correctly. Exposition is, in essence, the way of establishing things. Uh, and I mentioned genres uh, previously, but the same holds true for if you're writing a procedural, let's say a murder mystery or a cop drama or law drama, anything like that. You have to be able to set things up and pay them off later. So as the reader, you got to understand when things are paid off and are they paid off substantially for you? Do you understand why this disease got solved? Did you understand sort of the process that went from A to B to C to Z? Do you get that? Uh, those are notes to be aware of when looking at exposition, even in procedurals. Something we mention pretty often is the difference between mystery and confusion. And exposition, and to a lesser extent, world building is going to be a big part of that. When you're sitting there reading, are you fascinated by this world? Do you want to know more? Are you intrigued? Are you just being fed enough information that, you know, it really makes you want to turn the page and wants to make you watch the rest of the series? Or are you sitting there going, huh, I don't really understand that. Why is that happening? Who's that again? In which case, I think that's you're, you're starting to lean on the side of confusion rather than mystery. And a good exposition uh, is definitely one of the key tools you have to threading that needle and making it uh, the most effective way it can be. So keep that in mind as you're reading scripts. 
All right, now let's move on to the micro notes. Uh, these are things that we tackle on once we've tackled everything that we've discussed so far, uh, assuming that's still relevant, obviously, depending on the side of the process. One of the things that we look at on the more micro side is the prose. And that's, in essence, how the thing is written outside of just the dialogue. Just overall, am I skimming over things? Do I want to keep reading? Am I bored in the actual read? That's a thing that could be attributed to story and characters potentially, but also to the prose. Am I getting bored by just reading these drone-like lines describing really mundane things? Or is the prose really evocative? Is it fun? Is it light? Is it uh, shocking? Is it horrifying? Is it really matching the structure of the show? Is it perhaps editorialized in a fun way? Or conversely, is it editorialized in a way that really puts me off to reading the rest of the script? Yeah, prose is one of those things that can be a little bit intangible sometimes, and you don't really know good or bad prose until you see it. And then you have a very kind of clear reaction to that, especially when it's good prose. I think that it just draws you in and it's effortless to read and you feel like you were immersed in the story and you want to keep turning the page. And it can be hard to pinpoint exactly what that is. You can't sit there and say, ah, yes, when you used these three words here and then put a period after it, that was what really what hooked me in. You know, it's, it's this kind of intangible experience of reading and getting into a flow of the writing. And when people have a strong voice or confidence in their writing or a particular point of view or style to the way that they write, that's when you're kind of hooked in. And on the contrary, if you're struggling to read through line after line and it's really not interesting and you're kind of going back over things in your head and like, wait, what happened? And it wasn't very clear. That might be an indicator that the prose is not effective and it's not working for you. And especially if you look at things like action set pieces or other kinds of scenes that require a lot of prose building, a lot of text to get something across, look at the way they are conveying that information. Are they succinct or are they really leaning on how big of an impact this whole scene is by just rambling on for hours and hours and hours until page 15? Could this be condensed in a paragraph as opposed to three pages? Again, those are tiny things that you may confuse as being sort of the bumps in terms of the exposition or the story or the characters, but perhaps it's actually just the prose in that one scene. Perhaps you're rereading that same paragraph or that same page and you're falling asleep on page 15, not necessarily because of the story, but just of the way the prose is written conveying that story. Those are things that you got to distinguish and be aware of, especially when looking at prose versus the rest of the macro elements that we speak of. All right. The next thing to be looking at when you're reading is dialogue. And in some ways it's kind of similar to prose, but how it comes out of characters' mouths instead. And it speaks really deeply to character and uh, what you are saying about these people, who they are, how they interact with the world, their point of view, their beliefs about the world, and their dynamics with other characters are all going to come out really clearly uh, through dialogue. Yeah. And uh, in the same way that I feel prose speaks to a story, dialogue literally speaks uh, on behalf of characters. That is the one place where you can really make clear, okay, here's how this character speaks differently than this other character. And as the reader, as the person giving notes, you got to be aware of those nuances. Are you reading this dialogue as if it's the same actor reading all the lines? Or is there a very clear sense of pacing in the way they speak? Or the verbiage that they use, the colloquialism, the accent perhaps that's written literally on the page, all those different elements should give you an idea of who those characters are. And in the same way that prose can be good or bad with exposition, dialogue is also something to look at for exposition. I don't know how many scripts I've read where at some point in the episode, you have one character quite literally doing a one to two page monologue almost uninterrupted. 
And that may work once in a very while, maybe if you're doing some Aaron Sorkin fan fiction or something. But overall, if you're writing a new pilot for executives to read, it's going to be very difficult to make them read this whole batch of a dialogue that's a nonstop monologue, uh, because 90% of the people, I hate to break it to you, but they're just going to skim it. So if you're the reader, unless you actually were compelled by all of it, then uh, by all means, if that's the case. But uh, if you were bored and you just skimmed a piece in the same way that you were skimming a piece of prose, be aware of the times that you're skimming pieces of dialogue. Those are important signals to you that what is being conveyed is not being conveyed to you in an efficient way. Yeah. I mean, speaking of skimming, I think that's an important thing to kind of talk about when it comes to reading is that depending on who's reading your script, they might not be giving it their full attention. They might be kind of just going over the highlights of it and getting a general impression of a script. Sometimes they might only be reading the first few pages, the first 10 pages. And frequently what you'll see happens in, especially with comedy scripts, is that people will just go through and they'll read right down the middle. They'll read the dialogue uh, and they'll see, are the jokes funny? Are the character voices clear? Is this entertaining? And if it is, then maybe they'll go back and give you the benefit of the doubt and start to read it properly and read the rest of it. But, you know, sometimes they might just ignore every piece of action in between and see, are these interactions compelling? Do these characters have clear voices? Are there good jokes? Is this dialogue punchy? So don't underestimate the importance of having strong dialogue and having each of your characters sound like an individual person and not just an extension of the voice of the writer and all sound the same. The last topic we want to cover of the things you might be looking for when you're reading are these little micro notes. And, you know, I've heard us say that over and over again on our paper tease sections as to whether we have any micro notes. They're not going to make or break your script, no matter what people will tell you. If you have a couple of typos, if you have a few formatting errors, it's not the end of the world. If it's completely riddled with it, someone might throw your script in the bin out of frustration, or they might think that it's not professional enough. But for the most part, if the story is there, a few typos aren't going to matter, but it's still an important thing to note and try to fix where you can, especially if they happen early on in the script in the first pages. So like we said, typos, formatting, little changes to wording, anything like that. Right. And to that point of it's not going to make or break the script, I would say to some extent, if you are a professional writer and you're very well established, like let's say Tarantino, you can make as many mistakes as you want in a script. Nobody will care. In fact, you can make one in the title of a, a movie called Inglorious Bastards and nobody's going to bat an eye. That's just the way it is. That's your vision, blah, blah, blah. But in terms of your script as a nascent writer, those are important things to look at for in someone else's script, especially if it's at the point, again, where it's towards the end game now. We are there to sort of create this final draft to send out to executives or representatives or whoever else uh, you need or showrunners or whoever it is. So that's when those typos, those little formatting errors, those tweaks are important. And I sort of equate it to if you were going to see a show from a professional musician and uh, that musician is uh, sort of playing a false note at some point and you really hear it, it's going to be pretty jarring. Now, maybe a minute from now, you're going to forget about it because the rest of his music or her music is really compelling, but in the moment, it's really jarring. So in the same way in a script, I might forgive if I'm just reading sort of and I see a typo and the story and the script and the rest of it is so compelling, I just could not care less about formatting or the grammatical error. I'm just going to move forward because the script or show really is so compelling. But if I'm kind of in the middle and I'm kind of skimming over things and I'm not really compelled by the prose or the dialogue or whatever element... And I see multiple errors. Really, that shows amateurship. That doesn't show you as a professional writer. And so those are small things. I agree with Nick in the sense that it doesn't really make or break in the grand scheme of things, especially once you've sent something out, it's over. Uh, But at the point where you're giving notes to someone else, these are elements that I feel like can save a script at the very, very end of that process. 
Yeah, it, the interesting thing is that it's often correlated with worse writing. You're going to see a lot more typos <laughs>、yes. and formatting in bad scripts than you're going to see in good scripts, and so people start to draw that association in their head. And when they see these typos and these formatting errors, they're going to start to create the impression that. Perhaps this is a bad script, or at least the assumption, and then you're going to need to work even harder to dispel that from their mind. So keep that in mind, and then from the reader's perspective, if you do catch a couple of these things, let them know. If it's so blatant and frequent, don't feel like it's your responsibility to point out every single typo or every single particular formatting error. Just say, "Hey, I would just do a spell check over this. Here's a couple of examples, but you've got pretty frequent typos, or you know,、uh, look, you're formatting the slug lines wrong. You need to make sure that you're putting the time of day at the end, or you're not doing this or that. Again, you're not." Being paid to be their copywriter or their script editor, so don't feel like you need to go in and, and manually correct all of them for them. Just give them an idea of what's going on and, and make them do the work to to put it in and fix it up. I will say personally, again, it depends on the process when I'm brought in, but I will mention the micro notes. I will usually condense and collapse all those sort of tweaks and formatting errors at the very end, and I will actually remove them, especially if I have a lot of macro issues or there's things that are just going to be rebuilt in the script entirely that will not necessitate my macro notes being relevant. But if I know this is more of a final draft type script, then I will try to look out for those formatting or typo errors, and if I find them. That's great. I'm not going to look out for them, you know, proactively or rather、uh, page by page, as if I'm paid for this.、Uh, that's not at all my goal. But if I bump into them, I will definitely highlight. Hey, at the bottom, page 37, you spelled there, there, or、uh, could not care less, as could care less.、Uh, who says could care less? Could not care less. Please, people. <laughs> All right, so we've looked at how we approach giving notes and all the things that we look for when giving those notes. Well, now let's look quickly at some do's and don'ts. And the first one that we gotta mention is, if you are reading and giving notes, please read the script. Properly, never half-ass. Right, you gotta full-ass everything, including reading a script and giving notes. Especially if that person is relying on you and you're accepting to give notes, that's your job in that moment. Please take the time to read properly. Yeah, if that's a matter of saying to some people, "I'm sorry, I don't have the time to read your script," so that you can read a few key scripts properly for people who you might owe a favor to or have been reading your scripts, then it's preferable to do that rather than say yes to everybody, take on a hundred scripts, and then kind of barely read them, skim over them, and give unhelpful notes or notes that are counterintuitive to making it better. And in that respect, you know, don't overextend yourself and promise to give notes on every single pass of a script either,、uh, even if you have agreed to read it at least once. I think you want to make sure you're giving notes. At a point that would be the most effective, while also respecting your own time and energy. Unless I'm in some kind of writing partnership, like I'm in a writing group with someone, or obviously in a writers' room or anything like that, if it's just a friend or someone I know wanting eyes on a script, I will usually do one, if not two, reads of that script, depending on where they are in the process. But I usually cap it to that amount because personally, as a reader, I grow tired of it. Unless you know it's a massive difference, like let's say they showed me the outline, and then it's a completely different step of the process now because they're showing me their first draft or their final draft. This is. A different step of the process, so I can actually give better notes along the way. But if it's you know going from a draft version one to draft version two, that's not going to be very effective for me, and frankly for the writer either. It's not really going to be a good time for them either because I'm just reading kind of the same thing. Maybe they've changed some scenes here and there. Maybe they've changed the structure, but overall I won't have the same impression because I know what version one looks like. So it's really going to be hard for me to be invested in version two. 
One thing you should do is feel free to pitch alts or ideas that you might have for fixes in the script, but don't expect that they're going to be taken into account. More often, people might be looking for the note behind the note, and whatever uh, fix you pitch might not be the exact right fit for that particular issue or script. Right. This is uh, akin to what we spoke about before about the ego of it. Uh, You should lean into the issues that you have. If you are actually having issues, feel free to pitch those alts. Feel free to pitch, you know, maybe this scene should be uh, moved earlier, or maybe this character should be dead instead of this character. Any change that you feel is relevant, pitch it. But again, it should not be a lateral move as we've discussed before. But conversely, feel free to be open about those ideas while still understanding that those ideas that you're pitching will probably not exist in the that final version, what you should hope for is that the note that you're giving is actually addressed because that's the real priority here. And on the same train of thought, you should not be too prescriptive about how to fix issues, especially if you're not sure what your fix or issue is in the first place. If you're feeling a bit ambiguous, it's much easier to say, hey, I felt a bit weird about this whole sequence of events. I didn't quite grasp it as opposed to saying, hey, I know exactly what's wrong here. I think this thing should be here and this is the way it should be phrased and blah, blah, blah. Because at the point where you're sort of more nebulous about the way you're reacting to something, it's more out of a sense of confusion, something we talked about before. And so at that point, if you're confused, you should not be necessarily pitching solutions because you're still trying to understand the construct in of itself. So it's hard to really find a way out if you're not understanding the maze itself. Another thing that we said earlier was please do be constructive. You can always find the positive in every script, in every idea, and you want to highlight that to the person so they don't feel so discouraged that they never want to write again. So on that note, don't just tear it all down if you don't have a solution or a fix to follow up with that. There's no point in being uh, negative and saying, look, this isn't working, this isn't working, if you don't have some sort of conception as to how it might be fixed. Absolutely. And in the same way, you should limit yourself to the most important notes first. You cannot fix every single thing in a script. And big notes will always have a ripple effect anyway. So concentrate on those macro notes first. And if you really feel like the micro notes are not being addressed through those macro notes, then tackle those after. Uh, Don't act like your opinion as the reader is the be-all and end-all. The writer is free to take or leave your notes, even if you believe that you're 100% right. You've done your part and now it's up to them. Yeah, you're not Thanos. I remember the position here. <laughs> Speaking of, also remember what your goal is and why you are providing notes. This goes back to the whole communication aspect that we spoke of at the very top of this episode, asking the writer what they need and conversely understanding where your position is. Remember when you're giving notes, why you are doing this in the first place, and that should address the way you are giving those notes. And lastly, and this is so important, I've said it so many times, don't light their script on fire in front of them and tell them they'll never make it in Hollywood. That's just completely unnecessary and mean. Isn't that how we met in the first place? It was, yeah. I'm glad you remember. <laughs> All right. Well, that script uh, made us uh, some uh, fine ashes. All right. Uh, well, on that note, uh, before we go, don't forget that we are on Patreon. So if you enjoyed this beefy episode, uh, please consider supporting Paper Team by our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You will get access to our Paper Patreon exclusive podcast, cheat sheets, and our exclusive updates from the Paper Team mentorship. So you can get all of that at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And so we can keep producing a great show like this one for you every week. So thanks to our listeners for taking the time to tune in. 
You can get all the show notes for this episode at pvd.co slash 196. And as a reminder, all the information for our live 200th episode on December 5th, Saturday, December 5th, can be found at pvd.co slash 200. And as always, we would also love for uh, you to send us uh, your favorite moments and episodes from the past 200 or so at PPD team episodes. And you can do so by email or by tweeting at us at TV Calling or at underscore NJ Watson or even sending us an email with your own questions or ideas for future episodes like Varda did in this one at ask at paperteam.co. And next week, we will be busting 10 more myths, but this time all about the TV business itself. So we will see you next week.